idea of um, China. Um, and um, the world community goes along and asks them to lead the um, a mission uh, to um, of a humanitarian mission. Uh, so they provide the um, the cover um, and so on. So you can get in there, get people out. Then you have an organisation that they come to that they can get hospital, food, water, um, stuff. But also within that group is to save, is to also pick up like the zoo animals, the pets, the um I think, Sir Wombat, I think we should scale it down here a little. That is all well and fine. And it's from my point of view, if you don't mind me saying this, this is more like a scenario which I would have read about in books when people wish for something rather than being able to practically do it. And the Ukrainians in our space always tell me one thing when we come up with a suggestion which is not quite tolerable or cannot be executed. Or if we say go too deep into a topic they tell me this is not practical this is not functional and this is not what we need now i think we should put this to the side and concentrate on what's doable with a hostile force in situ meaning on site and unfortunately there's very little which can be done at this point in time now let's move on we have a couple of other uh, people constantine i by the way i do owe you an answer because I understood earlier from our uh, colleague Doman, who would listen more carefully at that point in time, that your question was as to how worthy and how helpful the M777s would be in terms of their capacity. Is that true? That, that was your original question, wasn't it? Uh, yes, my question was like, how much impact can those uh, 100 howitzers provided by the West can um, can impact the battle uh, for the for the eastern and the southern Ukraine essentially, and uh, considering the size of the of the front line, which is almost nine hundred kilometers. Yeah, I, th- I think the key aspect about this is, yeah, of course, the one hundred howitzers won't save the whole front line, but what is important to see is that. Um, the, the combat system uh, of the M777 is significantly more precise and does have a, um, an effective firing range, which exceeds with its precision definitely everything currently in theater on the Russian side. And if you add the Excalibur ammunition with its specific precision, uh, you have more uh, proper hits, a significantly higher ratio of hits, which you can affect by means of those howitzers. So... This is as if you just imagine that you have a lot of um, less capable systems on the other side with a shorter effective firing range. Therefore, they have to come closer to the front line. With this one, you can distance your enemy. You can cut behind the uh, second echelon. You can hit the command centers, take out more of their electronic warfare units and be significantly more effective in penetrating those lines and punch through. This is the whole uh, uh, say quality of them. This goes hand in hand with the even longer range capacity of the Panzer Hobitzer 2000, of which you will have heard that 24 of them are supposed to be delivered uh, in coordination between the Netherlands, Germany, and Poland, where these are being trained up for uh, Ukrainians, uh, experienced Ukrainian artillery personnel, which have an even further and deeper range in this regard, uh, which gives Ukraine then therefore even longer range firepower. So if you stage it and if you 
um, compound the effect of those, yes, still smaller numbers or small numbers by comparison. If you want to have a proper uh, artillery battalions, you would want to have, of course, two, three hundred of them at this point in time. But they are significantly more valuable piece for piece, pound for pound, than anything on the other side. As such, their impact is both measurable due to their precision, then their depth and range, as well as their overall firing capacity. So whilst the M777 is um, towed, but very movable, and you can see this if you go into YouTube videos, um, it is exceptionally capable and very flexible. Um, on the other hand, the Panzerhaubitze is self-propelled and good for shoot and scoot. And it is, has a very, very long range. And in combination, these two systems alone, in combination with the now, uh, as we understand from earlier Pentagon briefings today and indications in the past two days, a vast array of good sensor technology, meaning better counter-battery sensors being brought into theater and already delivered. Both the artillery, which you've quoted earlier, the older artillery, which is in use by the Ukrainian armed forces, as well as those will make a significantly bigger impact across the front line. Of course, we would love to send more, or sorry, we would prefer for more to be sent, I should say that. Uh, but then again, this is a very, very good start. And if you have this massed in one area, let's focus, for example, on the Isium salient, which we had highlighted earlier this evening, oh, sorry, in your case, you're during the day, um, they could make a significant difference in not just stopping, but dispersing and completely annihilating Russian mechanized and armor battalion tactical groups currently in that salient. And uh, it might very well end delivering one of the biggest ever defeats to Russian troops. That's the view. Thank, thank you. Thank you for answering that. that exactly exactly the, the answer that I was looking for. And by the way, I just wanted to say that like all my... Um, I'm from Kharkiv myself. This is eastern uh, part of Ukraine. And uh, my uh, group specifically that I served with, my unit, is like uh, maybe 10 people uh, out of 30 are from Izum. That is like uh, specifically taken from there. And they are all right now, they're fighting and, and like asking me questions. Uh, saying like you're in the United States <laughs> ask them if they're going to send us more it, I know it sounds silly but uh, it's literally the mood there um, that yes, sort of being silly no you're not silly at all Konstantin I think what you're asking for is absolutely correct and we've been arguing this here on the space that if we have it we should ship it if we can build it we should ship it if we can find it anywhere on this bloody planet, we should buy it and ship it. And God beware, we will not stop until we do. Uh, Pam. Hi, everyone. I'm so sorry I missed the earlier discussion. I, I had a conflict, but I, I understand that it was really, really well done. And uh, again, Walter and, and Axel and team, thank you so much for the, keeping this space going. Um, and I I guess my question for the group and for the, for the panel is... Um, how do you recommend balancing the inconsistent narratives that are coming out of Ukraine right now? Like on the one hand, we are hearing that Ukraine is is still um, 
succeeding in in taking out substantial amounts of uh, Russian troops and Russian artillery every day, uh, that it is liberating villages uh, and various variety of places, that it's that Russia, the Russian forces are not succeeding in, in, in expanding their incursion into the Donbass. Um, and so that seems optimistic news. On the other hand, we hear of, you know, the absolute decimation of Mariupol. We hear about the Azov battalion being basically slaughtered. Civilians' quarters were only open up long enough to, you know, evacuate the majority of the people there, but there's still many uh, that are still there and stuck and starving and uh, without medication and so on. And so that that's a, a far more uh, dark and dire narrative. And I've been asked by many of my Twitter followers and, and others like, okay, so what's the deal? Um, and I'm trying to, I'm not sure that I can give them any kind of sort of easy to comprehend synopsis of that. What's the deal? Well, things are just carrying on. Uh, you know, I don't have anything more sophisticated than that to say. And so I'm hoping for some guidance on that. Yeah, let's try it. Uh, sure. There is no easy answer to this. I'll leave it also to Axel. Just my five cents. Uh, the front line is really it's it's just big the territories where the the warfare is happening it's uh, there are too many it stretches from Kharkiv region to to essentially parts of Donetsk oblast Luhansk oblast Zaporizhia oblast and that that's just part of JFO area JFO area in size is like Connecticut literally just JFO area in the in the east of Ukraine is is even slightly bigger than Connecticut. And all of JFO, all over JFO, it's fighting. So the forces are stretched. And uh, unfortunately, and I'm not, not even, I haven't mentioned Kherson, the south of Ukraine, where Ukraine tries to push back and retake territories as, as well as in Kharkiv region. So unfortunately, with that happening and with successes specifically around Kharkiv, at least limited successes around Kharkiv and uh, successes in the south of Ukraine, other and uh, successful defenses in the JFO area. Unfortunately, Russians are effectively controlling part of southern Ukraine and uh, also trying to push in. So as we can mention Ukrainian successes, we have to also keep in mind that there are areas and too many areas where Russian try to to essentially squeeze in and uh, and advance because they have the upper hand in numbers, in number of personnel, in number of cannon fodder because they use their infantry as cannon fodder and uh, in numbers of artillery. And uh, in areas where they manage to besiege Ukrainian cities like Mariupol, there is no easy way to reach and uh, essentially breach towards these cities to create some kind of a relief because the distance from besieged Mariupol to to the front line is, I believe, it's more than 60 kilometers or even 70 kilometers. And again, there are areas where Ukrainian forces are in high need as well as Ukrainian artillery. It's lacking 
in many areas they have to reshuffle and move artillery around and even with this um, western systems american m triple sevens australian triple sevens canadian triple sevens mostly american of course arriving there is still not enough to essentially satisfy and fulfill the requirements because there are just too many too many areas where russians are using their heavy artillery which is in in two two big numbers so there is just no easy answer yes there are areas where ukrainians are successful just keep uh, keep in mind that all of the north was retaken and russians were pushed back but it's not so easy right now in the east and in the south because russians once some time they managed to dig in they continue digging in and without big numbers or significant numbers or at least some heavy artillery because in many areas there is even no heavy artillery on ukrainian side without heavy artillery or with insufficient numbers of heavy artillery it's almost impossible to to get them out and uh, um essentially push them back from entrenched positions and uh, as i said they're digging in and it becomes a very slow um bloody kind of creeping advance for ukrainian forces to push russians back from the territories that they managed to already take so you know it's it's interesting that you phrase it that way i mean because that's my sense of it my sense is that you know what russia could do in terms of true advance, it, it's done and it's now just defending what it has, but it's defending from an entrenched position and what I they have, uh, they're going to need more than just more weaponry. They're going to need more manpower. They're going to need more troops. And I, I, I keep toying with this with this idea that we need to start moving the American um, populace to this idea that, you know, if we really want to defeat Russia, like not just humiliate Russia or not just harm Russia's economy, but to truly shut them down, then it is going to require um, a deployment of troops. It is going to require um either air support or 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 something that can break the detente right like it's gonna require that because otherwise what i am seeing is a default position that's going to become entrenched over time where the donbass that russia controls is just going to now become part of russia because they're just not going to give it up they're going to pour whatever they got into they're going to send as much cannon fodder uh, as you yeah, but they it. don't have that. Did they I, have I, 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 I hear you, but... Right? I mean, they have an endless stream of young Russians they can send to the front because they don't care whether they die. They don't have that. That's exactly the point. That's the problem Putin is currently facing. This is the discussion. You remember we had this discussion. What is he trying to do in order to create this level of victimhood and projection which he needs in order to call for a general mobilization? At the moment, he faces massive shortages in recruitment. The conscripts he took in, or his army took in, um, at the beginning of April, it was a, a smaller vintage this time around, than usual, and 
those conscripts will not be worth anything up until about July. They're useless. They're too young. They're untrained at all. They have never had a gun in their hand. They have no cohesion. You know how it was. Let's remember what we all did once, boot camp. It's very difficult to get them in, into any shape and you can't even throw them into the meat grinder because they wouldn't even get there properly. But let's abstain from this for a second and take a step back and look at what is happening on the map or what is visible on the map, what's happening on the ground and what's being reported. The, the areas in which currently the Ukrainian troops are exercising a very good tactical delay by means of withdrawing very carefully along certain axes of the territory, territory which they know well, and luring um, about 27 BTGs along the Izium axis into open space out of that little narrow corridor. I think you will remember we had this one session where we talked about the maps in the salient where the troops poured through Izium through the National Park area, crossed over, and now come into the open field. There's these uh, names which you may already have all integrated, Bavinkove, then there's Kurulka, and then Slovyansk and Kramatorsk. At the moment, the Russian troops have not moved much more than about a kilometer south in the last four days. That's how hard the fight has been going down south. At the moment, they've, and they're always pushed back. They win some territory, then they're pushed back again. It's like a foxtrot, you know? And uh, they're not winning much, if at all. But they are lured in, they're losing, they're treated. The losses, according to notes from the Ukrainian armed forces, in this salient are massive. They're piling bodies. At the same time, the mid-range and short-range and higher-precision um, artillery is arriving in theater, and now it comes... Ukraine, which has trained up in those eight years of war prior to this specific invasion, has trained up about 680,000 men and women as reserves who have gone through training in Donbass, live fire exercises, the whole nine yards, full service. What they need is to constitute units with proper NCO course, which they've been training up, and since obviously February, even more so, to create new units, which they're doing constantly, oh sorry, ongoingly since that time, and equip those units. And I think you will understand this. You will have seen the Marines on the boats you've been with. You know exactly what it takes to equip one platoon, one brigade, oh sorry, one platoon, one company, one brigade, one division. The Ukrainians need that material, and then they need to be able to supply. That is what is tricking in. And that is what is being brought there, for example. And I apologize if it's a long-winded answer, but I'm trying to put this into perspective to give you a bit more beef to the bone, so to say, if you want to communicate with other people. The Polish are now sending them a little over 200 um, Twardis, which is a version of a T-72, but it doesn't matter. It's a very good one. And, and it's a reconstituted form and updated and whatnot. And T-72s. Because the UK is giving them Challenger 2s in a decent fashion and good upgraded Challenger 2s and additional kit. There you can also see the relationship of value. You know, roughly 50 Challengers, maybe a few more, and close to 200 of the Soviet equipment. Slovenia is giving them 54 M84s, which is a Yugoslav, better equipped, better sensor steering, better uh, autoloader system, and so on and so forth, better 72s, T-72s. 
essentially the Yugoslav version thereof. Some of which, which had to be, you know, properly maintained over the past couple of weeks, updated, whatnot, uh, say, take it out of mothballing. You know how this goes. You've seen it. Not as good as what we have, so to say, or what the West has or what the Americans, your countrymen have as uh, pre-positioned forces and materials in Europe, where essentially you can just deploy a unit, um, send it in, and they get into space and literally can use it. Not as good as that, but still worthy. And by now, ready and actually shipped and into theater. So if you take this, you have already close to 270 pieces of kit for armor and mechanized battalion. This is by far not all which the Ukrainians have received. On the contrary, there's a lot more than we know. There's a lot more happening under the radar. We've seen a lot of trains and train evidence and photos, not just the trains which then passed on through training to Lithuania and whatnot, which, you know, excited a few people. But lots of trains are going in that direction. Lots of uh, trailers are going in that direction. So there is a lot of kit in theater, and the Ukrainians have trained this up. But it's only now being deployed. We are in this phase where the new kit, both Soviet as well as our Western kit, is arriving. The British government seemingly is talking about deploying even longer range missile versions coming through so that they can hit even deeper and penetrate the enemy territory or enemy occupied territory deeper. All in, we're probably in a phase which anticipates counteroffensives. And what we're told, and you can see this in the briefings of the past couple of days, and that's where I would want, like to give you a little bit of hope by the Ukrainian armed forces is that they anticipate that they can turn the tide in a number of these sectors against the attack vectors of the Russian troops who have ground themselves down and they are not sufficiently entrenched. It's not World War I in this regard. They are not in a position that they can easily defend. They're actually breaking down and they're demoralized. So in that regard, there is good hope that with this artery impact, Ukrainian forces could pierce through, punch holes into these sectors, encircle troops, and take them out. That's the summary. Please. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your summary of that, and and I hope your optimism, and I I have no reason to die to your optimism, but I will say this. And again, I I fully own that I am coming from an American perspective in in an American combat um, sort of philosophy, which in an American combat philosophy, there's no such thing as as deploying that many ground, you know, that to have that kind of ground operation against an entrenched enemy without close air support. Like, there's just no such thing for us. If you're gonna if you're gonna take on an enemy entrenched, you are going to have uh, strafing runs with with Blackhawks. You are gonna have. Uh, you know, S3s and other surveillance planes in the sky. You're going to have Air Force support with bombers. You're going to soften up that target from the air. And it is all but impossible for me to get my head around this idea. The Ukraine is going to fight this huge surge of Russian troops without air. Like, I just don't get it. That is, and I know that they are asking for this sort of MiGs and, and, and drones and all of these other things, but those I don't know about the MiGs, but drones are really are more to take out tanks or to take out fixed positions or buildings, or you can even, a drone can take out aircraft. But when you're talking about trying to take out numbers of troops on the ground, 
you know, as as Colin Powell said back in the day, day, I mean, it's about shock and awe, right? Like bomb the shit out of them first and then go in. And that has been an American philosophy, a bat, battle philosophy for the as, as long as I can recall, right? That our approach to the battlefield has always been heavy, heavy air bombardment, air support and close in support, air support through, uh, you know, uh, attack helicopters and other kinds of uh, aircraft um, to complement and work in tandem with advancing troops so that, you know, your troops are calling in coordinates to your air support to take out uh, entrenched positions before they get there so they don't have to encounter the enemy. Like that's the whole goal is to minimize fully agree troop on troop, I, right? So, so just I guess that's my struggle here. My struggle here is if we know that works in other battlefields and we, and it totally does. What you know that's what's missing. And for us Americans who are used to that, it's the component that I'm most infuriated about is missing because to me that is the thing that would shut this thing down in a matter of weeks, of days. Like if we okay, and I have a question. Air. I have a question for you, Pam. We we both agree. We both agree. Air superiority would be great. I'm I'm fully with you. Air force here. Okay, I you don't need to convince me. I'm in it. They need F-16s, and they would love to have the Australian F-18 uh, Hornets, uh, which Australia actually was about to sell to some American private company. And that deal hasn't completed as per December and January this year. So technically, these F-18s are available. Uh, the Ukrainian pilots are exceptionally good, as we hear. I'm sure that they can be trained up proper. And I'm told by friends of mine and family members of mine who actually still fly that this is absolutely feasible. And there's no, we shouldn't be even bothered about it. We should just get these guys in the cockpits and fucking train them. I'm not against that. It, however, it comes with a whole different supply chain. You need the maintenance kit. You need the insulation to roofs. It's a different thing. You know this. If you've been on carriers, you know all this. So what I'm saying is, if you, Pam, can convince people in the U.S. that they need F-16s, and that the U.S. makes its um, influence felt in Australia to deliver the F-18 Hornets, I'm absolutely certain that the Ukrainians will make fantastic use of it but even that would come too late now for it to work for the offensive they are starting with massive artillery power because the Ukrainians have asked for artillery, for missiles and the likes because they believe that they can win against this Russian force because they have constrained Russian fighter screens and Russian close air support because the Sukhoi-25, the Russians also fly is a man pad meat. Mm -hmm. So should we? So I guess I, I will. I will finish my commentary by just asking the question: Should I be using my little Twitter feed to be pushing for air support? Because to me, I that's the part that's missing. I, I would. That is the part that's missing. So uh, there's this a question. I would. Uh, please, liberal. Uh, who, who was somebody was uh, talking? No, I just wanted to add a comment. Of course, air support is essential, but if you're the defending uh, military, I don't think it's as <clears throat> pardon me as essential. I think the man pads, um, 
anti-aircraft uh, weapons, the Mistral. I'm not saying that the Ukrainians shouldn't have air support. I'm just saying that they're not the aggressor. And I think they have an advantage against um, some of this older Soviet equipment that is meeting up with, you know, the, the latest Western weaponry and, and uh, technology. And that was just my comment. Okay. Um, all right. Thank you. If, if I could jump in real right. quick. Yes. I was just about to ask you. <laughs> um, I think, honestly, Pam, all due respect, logistics is a way bigger piece of this puzzle than an air support campaign. Uh, one, we risk unnecessary escalation between Russian and NATO forces. Two, I, I'm cringing at the thought of even quoting this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Donald Rumsfeld, circa 2005, you go to war with the army you have, not the army you want. Um, it's highly commendable that the Ukrainians are piercing into contested areas without air support. And you're right, that's anathema to American military doctrine, but they're not opposed to it because they're in a fight for their life. And like Axel was saying, we, we can't get the support infrastructure moved over there to maintain F-18s or any other American airframe. So I, if I had more Twitter reach or connections within DC, I would be uh, begging for expedited logistics. We need more M777s over there faster. We need more yes. counter battery radar over there faster. Uh, the Ukrainians are begging for counter battery radar. They asked for it from Germany and it was denied to them a week or two ago, the same time those uh, 2000, whatever the Panzerfaust heavy artillery are that uh, is made by Germany. Um, some, of that, of it, so, yeah. some, of, some of that howitzers are being pro provided by the Netherlands and Germany is pro providing backup and replacement parts, but uh, counter battery artillery is is the game changer here. That's that's the air support uh, without having planes in the sky. That's that's yep. who you call for help from when when you're overwhelmed by a bunch of Russians. What the Ukrainian armed forces, by the way, Pam, and maybe we should focus on what they are requesting. I think, Ryan, you have a very good point. And if you want to put this out there, Pam, I'd, I'd be delighted. I'm, I'm all with you. If you need anything, we'll get you in touch with the people who, who asked for this. And we, uh, I think Yehuda can give you a lot more info as to the lists which we see on a regular basis as to what the Ukrainians are requiring. Walter has very kindly processed this on a regular basis. Yes, they need more anti-air systems, high Mars and the likes, and they need all this. But in addition to that, the Ukrainians have requested, specifically requested, many times over. Please, in addition to more counter-battery and more self-propelled artillery, and if we can give them rocket artillery, give us battle tanks and give us more than the T-72s. It's not difficult to train Ukrainian tankers up to the standard of a light battle tank as the Leopard 1. The Leopard 1, the Germans have, and it is available. These are available, and they're available at the moment. The light battle tank is extremely good for the light infantry and fast penetration setup and logistics profile, speed profile. The Ukrainian troops want. Then, uh, so, um, so the United States is still committed to not giving them tanks? The, yeah, the M1 Abrams, we're not giving yeah. them. Oh, sorry, you're not giving them at the moment. Despite Why? the fact that you have, well, 
that is something which I would much appreciate if you could push for that because the M1 Abrams is a decent tank. It really is. It's a bit, you know, light on the sides, but it's very good front protection. It has a fantastic gun. It is perfectly viable. It has a bit of a shorter range than the Leopard, but it's a good, it's a good piece of kit. It really is. It's an all-round good tank. But if we can give, if we can, if the, the best thing about America is not only its vast storage, but it's also its capacity to lean on its friends and allies. If you want to make a big change, then have the White House do what it did a few hours ago. Because later in the evening, last evening from a European perspective, and it's here now five o'clock in the morning, by the way, and we're still talking. <laughs> later in the European evening, Olaf Scholz and the White House had a little convo for about half an hour. The White House um, press secretary actually confirmed that. I'm absolutely certain that they were not trading bingo cards. I'm quite sure that the White House will have leaned heavily on Mr. Scholz to actually release those six or seven folders which he currently has to release, both manufacturer requests, Kraus Maffei and Rheinmetall have said that they, for example, have 50, 50, 50 Leopard 1s, both the, the last two versions of the Leopard 1, highly upgraded, neatly set up, used by third parties before and completely maintained ready. This proposal is there for three weeks already. They also have 35 Marders, which is an infantry fighting vehicle in this case. And they have a lot more of them available, but 35, they have completely readily available standing there and they are waiting for three weeks. They could already be in theater, but the proposal was not signed off by Olaf Scholz. The Panzerhaubitze, Germany, has now deigned to, to indicate that they could deliver in June seven, maybe only five, if and when it works, and if and when they can release it, despite the fact that Rheinmetall and Kraus Maffa and others are willing to produce more and deliver more, and there's a couple of nations in Europe who have more available which could be delivered. And I could go through the list like no one's business. I actually have a list here, which is part of the list which is available. And it's no surprise because this is by now public information and it's piling up. And what it needs is that the two largest weapons manufacturers in Europe, Germany and France, and the third largest, Britain, which is already doing everything they can. They are leading. My British friends are leading this effort. But the Germans and the French need to be told in no uncertain terms that if they don't want to taint their industrial brand and their perception in the world any further, they should better do what Lloyd Austin said, thankfully, in Rammstein. Move heaven and earth. The German weapons industry alone could supply everything Ukraine needs starting tomorrow if Mr. Scholz gets out of the way and tells everyone to produce in three shifts. That is what needs to be pushed on. And, that, and by the way, that includes everything from, as my friend Edward said, from forklifts and shovels to helmets, and now it comes. For those hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians who are willing to fight, they also need small arms, because at the moment they don't have enough of them. They don't have enough Kevlar, they don't have, there's, from everything, everything's missing. The United States, right? Sorry? So why, what is Biden's excuse for not sending Kevlar and helmets and small arms and, you know, MREs and everything else? Like, what is the excuse? I've, 
you're doing a lot. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not going to fault the United States of America um, for, for not supplying. I think you are, when I say you, you as a representative of the beloved uh, friend we have over there on the, Atla- on the other side of the Atlantic, um, you are doing a lot. Yes, you could always do more. America can, can always do more because it has the deepest reach. It has the biggest inventory. You have the capacity. Absolutely. And we'd love you to do more. Please, if you can release uh, M1 Abrams, I'm sure the Ukrainians will find so all we, the tankers who could do it. So if I, if I, you know, that's why I'm asking, you know, if I say to my Twitter followers here, please join me in asking the administration to release 10 M1, M1 Abrams tanks. Uh, or, or 20 or whatever the number you s- would be realistic. You know, some say, oh, five. Well, yeah, oh, five is in a territory that big. That's That doesn't mean anything. Uh, but, um, you know, if we say 10 or 20 or 30 and, 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 and X tons of... Ukraine needs 250 of them. Right. Okay, so give me a number. That's what I'm saying. Give me a number. Right. I think Ryan has a few numbers. Ryan? Give me a number, at least. I mean, I, I, I'm an advocate. It's what I do on Twitter, right? So, give me something to advocate for. Tell me, say, hey, we need 250 Abrams tanks. We need X tons of MREs. We need X tons of uh, sidearms and Kevlar and uh, PPE. Okay, like protective gear, night goggles, all that other crap. Right. Honestly, I. I have a strong suspicion that we've probably dumped as much of our surplus inventory as we can as far as NVG and MREs. Um, Axel's talked about this in the past. We're running one of the biggest air support campaigns the world has seen since the Berlin airlift. Um, Yes. We're doing our best to move heaven and earth to Ukraine uh, keep in mind they're fighting Russia and somehow two months later they've managed to maintain almost near countrywide comms coverage and uh, feed their people against an onslaught of rocket attacks that are attacking major food store warehouses. So I, I wish I could offer you a number of tanks or gear that we need to send over there, but I think uh, not being involved at the Pentagon or at the State Department are probably massively unaware of the amount of of uh, equipment and support that is moving in their direction. I know we've moved a few billion dollars already. We've uh, the president has asked them to release another thirty three billion, which is frankly a drop in the bucket compared to our annual. Uh, defense spending budget, we spend about $750 billion a year with 700 of that being discretionary money, essentially. And we're throwing peanuts to Ukraine in the form of $33 billion. And I, I don't say that without some bit of reservation because I know $33 billion is a whole lot of money. Uh, I've spent a lot of money for a very wealthy man in the past as a procurement agent and uh, we're doing things here we need to find out what kind of uh, m1 abrams stocks we might have sitting over in nato warehouses right now in europe and see if we can't release those and maybe backfill our inventories there but i know things like that are being done Uh, more always helps if they're saying they need tanks 
I would do everything I can to ask anybody I have connections with or your Twitter space to press their local elected congressperson or senator to get some tanks released to them. Personally, I think they probably need some M109A6 or A7 Paladin mobile artillery, but I've also 